Dash podcast with Pastor Rick Hill, Senior Pastor of Grace Community Church in Rawls, New Mexico. I'm Marie Manning. What an honor it is to have you join us today. Our goal at Living Your Dash is to better help you connect the dots of discipleship so that you can find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Let's join Rick and Sean with this week's podcast. Well, thank you, Marie, and thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Living Your Dash podcast. And so we want to help you connect the dots of discipleship in your life. And so, boy, we have been running through this fantastic series, and we have come to the end. I mean, I felt like we should have had a funeral or something. Well, or, or, or a party. Or a party, yeah. yeah. Um, but we're at the end. Last week, they crossed the Jordan, they built a monument, and... Uh, you know, Rick, we're at, we're, so here we are, we're at the end of the Jordan River rules, and so, I mean, I asked everybody last night in my small group, did, did, did they have a favorite? And I'm kind of curious about you. Did you have a favorite rule? You know, you, you, on this one, you tested me, and I went back and looked at those, and, oh, there's several I've just absolutely loved, but number five was the one that jumps off the page at me. Mm. Number five is expect God to guide you where you've never been before. Mm. I love that. I love that. Where you've never been before. Because when you think about it, what is it that creates worry and stress and anxiety? It's worrying about where I'm going tomorrow. Yeah. It's that unseen. It's that I don't know what's around the next corner. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, if you can expect God to guide you where you've never been before, then if he's your guide, he's like your Sherpa, yeah. Uh, then, well, I don't have to worry. He knows where he's going. So all I have to do is stay up with him. Yeah. And you know, especially meaningful to me, Sean, because I'm moving toward retirement. Mm-hmm. Never been that way before. Yeah. I don't know what's around that corner. But the good news is I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to stress. I know, you know God's been faithful to guide me to mm-hmm. this point, and I can trust him for the days ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that that reminds me. I was going to say something, uh, I, I, and actually forgot the actual rule. But but that was that particular point is is very important to me right now. I mean, there's there's transitions in my life personally that that are happening. You um, abandoning me and the rest of the church. No, I'm just kidding. But you <laughs> you needing to be obedient to what you need to do, and and yeah. that's going to force the re- not force, but well, I guess so. But it it means that all of us have to make these transitions that are full of faith. And so mm-hmm. we don't have to worry. You and Brenda, empty yeah. nest. That's right. You know, empty nest, your kids are gone. That's right. Huge transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you told me I'd like it. And you're right, I like it. So <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you know, you, you, do, you do a lot of series here at Grace. You know, um, why are preaching series an important aspect of corporate worship? And... Uh, did, did they meet your expectations? Yeah, uh, I, I do. I love to do sermon series because to me it's like taking a road trip. Ah. Everybody piles in the car and you take a road trip. And, and as you go through a series, you, you see things together. You learn things together. You ah. share things together. And, you know, I, I lead a small group. You lead a small group. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, when you get in your small group, what are you talking about? What we talked about Sunday and you... You kind of rehash it and mm-hmm. you apply it to your lives. Uh, to, to me, a lot of it is just, it's building great memories, but it's also building great truth yeah. into our lives. And did it meet my expectations? Oh, it exceeded. Mm. This series exceeded, honestly, my expectation. Because 
these these ten principles, and if people have never read this little book, it doesn't take long to read it. Yeah. In fact, it really is a great little book to to do a, a, a one rule a week or one rule a day for ten days. And, mm-hmm. But the Jordan River Rules by Robert Morgan, life changing principles. And what I love about it and has been life transforming for our church is it hits everybody. Yeah. No, nobody is immune to applying these rules to their lives. Yeah. And it hits me. It doesn't matter if you're young, middle-aged, or old. doesn't matter if you're single or married. doesn't matter if you have kids or don't have kids. It uh, doesn't matter if you have a job or retired. Mm-hmm. All of the, these 10 principles are all about moving forward in life. How do you keep moving forward in life? Yeah. Yeah, even last night, I mean, they were they were they were telling me how much they enjoyed this in series. your small group. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. And and uh, they they see the value of it's not just one particular lesson, but it's it's how it is nestled in with all the others, and they're they're connected. And it really did hit them in their own. Some of them are going through physical struggles. Some of them are going through um, uh, job transitions. Uh, and so it's been an amazing uh, experience for us, for us all. Great. So That's I'm great so glad news. that we did this. All right, so let's get back into this week's message, and, and that's encircling obstacles with uh, biblical faith and a shout of victory. And uh, so here we're talking about their very first obstacle once they're in the promised land. It, it's the Battle of Jericho, which you were at, we're going to get into this a little later. It's not much of a battle, is it? Not really. <laughs> okay, so... One of the, the greatest practical lessons that we find is that we're always going to face a Jericho. There, we're always going to face an obstacle. Or as you put it, it's always something and never nothing. Or, by the way, are you going to trademark that phrase? I could, but a friend shared it with me, so no. I would have to give him credit. Rats. Okay, fine. fine. Well, you see, we've, most everyone says, yeah, it's always something. It's always something. Yeah. But it's that last little phrase, and never nothing. Because mm-hmm. what, what we wish for is, oh, if I just had a, a little break in my life so there was nothing going on, I could mm-hmm. get some rest. Uh, it just doesn't happen. It's always something. Always something's going on. And, and there's never a nothing break yeah. in life, one way or another. Good things, bad things, always something, never nothing. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of interesting that you that you said and and, and get some rest. But um, I think that the Lord is very practical, and and He's already told us that uh, we can find rest for our souls, even with the burden, is what Jesus told us. And a big part of these ten principles really will lead you to that rest, even in the midst of chaos. Yeah. There can, you know, chaos on the outside, there could be peace and rest on the inside. And these 10, ten steps lead people in that direction. So this is kind of an aside, and, and it's not actually in the questions here, but but if, if I'm facing, if, if I'm always having this inner turmoil, um, and I'm not in that rest... Because if you're saying it's never nothing, and I'm not presently in that rest, is something wrong? Should I? Is there a little red light on the dashboard that says there's something deeper going on than just the problem? Yeah, I think so. And I think some people have unrealistic expectations about life. Yeah. They, they feel like, you know, if I can get around this next corner, things will calm down. Mm-hmm. If, I can, if I can just get to this next whatever it is, then, then I know I'll have peace in my life. And there is no such 
corner, <laughs> not in this life. Yeah. The, and that, you know, when you read the book of Hebrews, there is a rest. But, yes. But it's a heavenly rest. Yes. <laughs> it's uh-huh. when we die or Jesus comes back, then there's going to be a rest. But I think the, you know, the inner turmoil maybe points us in that direction and it reminds us you're not going to have ultimate rest here yeah. on planet Earth because we live in a fallen world where where life is unfair, life is difficult. But yeah, if if you're continually and we know people like that, Sean, who are it's always a crisis. Yeah. Oh, and you know you you can spot these people usually because when they enter a room, everybody runs from them. <laughs> Because they're going to run to you and tell, oh, let me tell you the horrible yeah. thing in my life. And, and they just, and, and people go, oh, I want to run. I want to run from these people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a red light. That's a red light. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't fix the external chaos. The only thing you can work on is the internal chaos. And you can, very biblical, you know, that you can turn that, that the inside into peace, yeah, and have a have a restful, positive, joyful attitude. Yeah, I, what comes to mind is that Isaiah twenty six three verse, where he says, "You or thou, that's the old King James, but you will keep in perfect peace, you whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in the Lord. He trusts in you." Yeah, and um, so wow. Okay, back to the questions here. So the principle is that you told us, "Hey, it's it's time to advance. It's time to move forward." But, you know, what if we don't know how? What if we're stuck in between that bad and worse? Yeah, great question. And the reason it's important to to advance, to keep moving forward, it's the old expression that it's easier to steer a moving vehicle than a stationary vehicle. Oh, yeah. And it's easier for God, I believe, to steer our lives if we are moving forward, not in some kind of chaotic... Um, random way of just, well, I got to do something, even if it's wrong. Not, I'm not talking about that. And I even mentioned in the, in the message that, that when you feel stuck, just keep doing what you know is the right thing to do. Mm. Just do the right thing. For Just a couple of examples. You know, a lot of people are in, they got a bad boss. You know, mm-hmm. They're in a bad working situation. So what's, what do you do when you feel stuck in a job with a with a real jerk of a boss, what do you do? Well, your options are, you know, you can cuss him out and get fired. Mm-hmm. That's not too smart. That's, That's not right. the right thing to do. Or you can um, you can just get mad and walk in and quit one day. Well, that's not going to pay the bills for your family. That's not the right thing to do. So what do you do? Well, you just, you go to work. You do the right thing. You go to work. You put in a good day's work. Is it okay to look for a new job? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. See, the right thing to do will guide you in the right direction. I, I, I've talked to several people who just, they're in a bad marriage, you know, like maybe very often it's a believer married to an unbeliever mm-hmm. and the believing spouse says, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I, what's the right thing to do? I can tell you what the wrong thing to do is, you know, I don't like my spouse. I think I'll trade her in for a younger model. Mm. Wrong decision. You know, I think I'll go hang out with a bar at the bar. You know, maybe I'll meet somebody better at the mm. bar. Wrong thing to do. So what's the right thing to do? You work on your marriage. Does that mean it's always going to work out? No. Mm. No. Sometimes marriage is in. But there's a right way and a wrong way even to terminate a marriage. Yeah. So keep doing the right thing. 
Sean, recently I, I read a book by a Congress, a former congressman, Trey Gowdy. It's a great little book. And it's on decision making, hmm. and it talks about you know when do you how do you know when to stay, <clears throat> uh, when to start, or when to move. You know how do you know when on those decisions? And he had a great line about making decisions, the very thing we're talking about. When do you move forward? When do you stay? Yeah. And he used the analogy of driving a car, and he said, never let your emotions and feelings drive the car. Mm-hmm. Never let yeah you, you no no you let your logic you let your thinking your brain you know what's the right thing to do well I don't feel like it well don't let the feelings drive the car now it's okay to let the uh, the emotions it's okay to let the feelings be a backseat driver mm-hmm. because sometimes a backseat driver can give you good advice that's right backseat driver can say hey Sean you're too close to that car in front of you yeah. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so you listen to your emotions, but you do not let them dictate your decisions. Yeah. So when do you, what do you do when you're stuck? You keep doing the right thing and think. Don't let your feelings take over because when you think, you say, okay, I'm going to let God guide me in this decision. So right. I'm going to think through what is the right thing to do. Wow, wow, fantastic. So this is... Where I guess the metaphor of circling the obstacle of faith becomes real, isn't it? So um, are there critical things like non-negotiable things that, that we ought to be doing in order to say that we're walking by faith? First of all, I love that analogy that Joshua drives home in this circling. Yeah. They circled every day for six days. They walked around totally encircling mm-hmm. the city of Jericho on the seventh day, you know, seven times around, around, around. There is just something visual about encircling your obstacles with faith. Non-negotiables, one that hit me, Sean, was that faith will never contradict the Word of God. So if you're right. wondering, is this really a step of faith? Well, is it in harmony with the Word of God? Or does it conflict with Scripture? Faith never contradicts the Word of God. And another thing, Sean, is fellowship. Um, over and over again, I, I I get this picture that you know God doesn't just send Joshua out and say, okay, Joshua, I want you to walk around Jericho. He doesn't just say, Joshua, I want you and uh, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to walk around. No, he has, he has the people of Israel, the army, you know, they're walking around. It's that we're doing it together. We're better together. Mm. I, whenever we're having to make those those tough decisions of whether to stay or to move, what's the right thing to do? When we are doing it together, we, we think critically rather than emotionally. Yeah. And I cannot tell you how many times that uh, I had to make a decision and it was input, wise input from mature Christians that helped me guide and, and very often fine-tune yeah. a decision in my life. So you know, stay with the Word of God, stay with God's people. And yeah. God's Word and God's people will get you a long ways down that road. Wow. You know, that's interesting because I just recently, you know about it, but the, I just recently had some personal decisions that I need to make. And I'd love to tell you, but... They might be listening, so I can't do it. Yeah. But <laughs> confidential. Confident, thank you. Uh, I had to make some personal decisions, and those are the two things 
the 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 constraint and the and the um, uh, direction of scripture, and then also great fellowship, asking people, hey, here's the pickle I'm in. Here's here's the problem I'm facing. You know, do you have anything to say? And the wonderful thing about it is, most people said, wow, that is a that's a problem. Praying for you. Here's what I would do, <laughs> and it was wonderful. I mean, uh, you yourself were involved in this, and and other folks were involved, and. So know the scriptures, get involved in the scriptures, and then fellowship. That's what I'm going yeah, to be saying. You think about guardrails on a road. How's going? How are you going to keep moving in the right direction? Keep yeah. your. How are you going to steer? Well, guardrail one is you know God's scripture, God's word, and yeah. God's people, and those are like guardrails, and they will keep you out of the ditch. Yeah. Uh, in your decision making. And so this is the and we keep talking about it. And we know that that it's. Some people have to be careful about being at church, you know, because of their their health, that their their uh, immune system is compromised. But it's why it's so important, really, to be involved, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, people sitting at home in bed drinking coffee when they need to be at <laughs> church on Sunday, they're really shooting themselves in the foot. They're yeah. missing. They're they're just missing out. That you know, you can stay home and you can read the Bible on your own. And you can stay home and watch church on TV. Yeah. But those are, I would say, imitations of the real thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, how often, we're in small groups and we're studying the Bible together. Yeah. I've lost track of how many times we'll be looking at Scripture and somebody will give an insight and I'll think, I never saw it that way. Or, wow, does that apply to my life? How did I miss that? Yeah. That's the fellowship of God's people. It's a holy and, and oh. humbling, honoring thing, and, and I, I, I love that. Okay, boy, we got to go. So the scripture says that the ark went before them. Uh, sometimes, you know, you know me, Rick. I, I see too much symbolism, so you may need to calm me down here. But is there a significance to the ark leading the way? You are not overdoing symbolism here mm. uh, because... If you notice, when they crossed the Jordan, God said, put that ark in the middle. Yeah. And that's going to that's gonna be a symbol of my presence holding the waters back of the Jordan River. Yes. Here they go around, circling around. I want that ark to be circling. Again, God's instructions were very, very clear. I believe more than anything else, this was, he was vis- visually positioning the ark so that everyone could see it. And it was just a symbol. And it was all the way through the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. It was the symbol of God's presence. So people had that drilled into their head. Yeah. Israelites knew this is a symbol of God's presence. And it's a very holy, holy symbol. Yeah. So, yeah, no, uh, no overdoing symbolism here. God wanted them to know, I am leading this charge. So when you see that wall come tumbling down... You know, kind of like, look at the wall come tumbling down and then look at the ark. Yeah. Because it is the presence of God and the power of God who brought about the victory. You know, I'm thinking, when when you were talking about the Israelites watching that, watching how it is the presence of God that leads them and will protect them and will was doing the work. I'm also looking at the standpoint of all these, these Jerichites, right? They're looking over the wall and they're saying, what is that? It It's beautiful. But what is it? Yeah. And I, I wish somebody had been curious as to just shout down, hey, what, what's, what is that? <laughs> yeah. 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 But they never asked. And there, um, there's a good argument that the reason God 
did this for seven days was to give the people of Jericho an opportunity to repent and to say, wow, there is something about this that there's something about these people that we don't have. There's a holiness, a reverence that they've got that we don't have. Maybe we, maybe we should call a truce. Uh, Maybe we should invite them in and have them share with us about their God. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Wouldn't that have been? Oh my. You say, well, that could never have happened. Well, it happened with Jonah and the Ninevites. That's right. That's right. They repented a a whole town. You know, all the Ninevites repented in sackcloth and ashes when they heard the truth of the one true God. Yeah. The Jerichoites could have done the same. That's right. That's right. But But they didn't. It didn't happen. And that makes me think, boy, I need to, there have been so many times in my life when I knew I needed to repent. I needed to get my life straight with God. And I I was just stubborn. Yeah. I mean, no, I want to be miserable in sin. What was wrong with me? Yeah. You know? Uh, so if you're listening, don't Repent. be miserable. Yeah. It's, Repent. Turn it's the God. wisest and best thing in the world. And you'll, there's so much joy. Okay. You imagined some fireside conversations. And, you know, after witnessing what their forebears did, I almost find it a miracle that they didn't grumble their, <laughs> their way, you know, into to more penalty time in, in the penalty sandbox. But... But is there a function in fellowship that keeps us from grumbling, that keeps us encouraged? And and does that happen naturally? Well, fellowship, Sean, can go both ways. It depends on who you're hanging with. Ah. Are you you fellowshipping with the naysayers or are you fellowshipping with the faithsayers? Yes. The Bible's very clear. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. So if you hang out with evil people, gossipy people, negative people... Uh, you'll get sucked in. You'll get you'll get pulled down. The right kind of fellowship is uh, the kind that it, I, say, I would say it doesn't happen naturally. It happens mm-hmm. intentionally. You have to intentionally say, "I I cannot hang around with this group of people because they pull me in the wrong direction. I need to be around faith-inspiring people." Yes. So. Choose your companionship wisely. Yeah. It, it goes a long ways. Amen. Amen. So when we consider the victory shout of God's people, I mean, that that's not a common practice for, and I'm using air quotes here, respectable Christians to do anymore, is it? I mean, is this like a metaphor in modern times or is it literal? And where and when is it appropriate to raise a shout? You know, it's been interesting. The, the Sunday morning celebration service has changed so much in my lifetime. When I was a kid growing up, uh, nobody nobody said a word. Nobody talked except the guy up front. Yeah, There might be an occasional radical amen yeah. from the audience, but it was basically sit down, shut up, and listen. <laughs> but, you know, over time, Sean, and, and I mean, here at Grace, you know, at the end of a song, everybody claps, and yeah. you'll hear some shouts, and hallelujah, and amen. Yeah. And, and I love that because it, it is a verbal expression of praise. And it certainly matches what David taught us in the Psalms to shout. Yes. And shout loud and to sing. You know, and so Sunday morning celebration can be that time. But I would also encourage people in their private life, um, don't be afraid to shout out. Yeah. You know, when you're alone in the car and you're listening to uh, Christian music, Sing along, yeah. sing loud. Nobody will hear, you know. But God, <laughs> learn to pray out loud. Learn to sing out loud. Yeah. When you are alone, 
And occasionally, if you're by yourself in the house, give it a try. Shout out. Yeah. You know, maybe the walls won't come tumbling down in your house, hopefully. Right. But um, yeah, be more expressive. And I do that to me. That's the message. We need to be much more expressive in in our corporate worship. We don't need to be, you know, so staid and yeah. just sit there and be a spectator. Right. At, at least at some level participate. You got to remember it's a command. Ephesians 5:19, Colossians 3:16, sing and make melody in your heart. It's that's imperative. Right. Yeah. So you, that's a that's a command. So don't sit there and make excuses. <laughs> oh, I can't sing. I can't carry a note. Who cares? Yeah. God doesn't care. That's right. So that's use right. the voice God gave you. He'll it'll bless him. Yeah. Yeah. So actually so I, I think I told you this before but I've I've got this sermon in the works, okay? So whenever it wor- happens, but it, it's called the title is for God's sake, sing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Like okay. That. Anyway, all right. You said, so you can take the title if you want to, because okay. <laughs> you'd be much better. So anyway, you said that the Israelites uh, were just there for the show. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, walls don't just fall down. The Jericho walls, you know, archaeologists have figured out how thick they were. Yeah. Probably a double wall thick. Large, thick enough for uh, apartments to actually be built into the wall. Remember Rahab? Was yes. Actually, her home was built into the wall. Yeah. Walls don't just fall down. And this was a clear demonstration. God had to do it. I mentioned Sunday, just a thought. I don't know if it's true, but maybe one of the reasons God had the Israelites completely encircling was so that everyone would have a front row seat. Uh, people just standing there and they hear the trumpet sound and they, all they did was shout. That's yeah. all they did. They just shouted and the walls come tumbling down. Yeah. So it was very clear. Uh, there is no way this, this is not a natural occurrence. This is a supernatural occurrence. Right, right. Okay. So they were just there to observe God do his yeah. God thing. And isn't it, I mean, think about your life and mine. Isn't that what God really does? It's I look true. back in my life and I go, what have, what have I really accomplished? <laughs> well, bottom line, nothing without God. Yeah. Absolutely. I just, I've been around, I've been along for the ride. Yeah. And boy, what a show. That's right. It's been a great show. That's and right. And boy, don't miss out on God. He he does great shows. He shows up and shows off. That's right. But we're, our job is to sit there and just say, wow, and shout. That's right. That's right. Give him the praise. All right. Well, Rick, you said that God's been in the obstacle demolition business for a long time. I love that. And honestly, that made me think of that 2 Corinthians 10 verse where it talks about how um, the weapons that we fight with, they're not the weapons of this world, that they have uh, divine power to demolish strongholds in our life. What are the steps to demolishing strongholds in my life? Let's say that maybe it's Anger or bitterness? Or what about lust and pornography or partying? Um, what if it's substance abuse? How about people pleasing or controlling the story that I want people to believe about my life? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that Second Corinthians 10 passage because the very last line says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Mm, mm. Notice that. We, we, take cap- we have the power and the authority to take captive every thought and and make it and submit it to make yeah. it to to force it to be obedient to Christ so what that means Sean is 
We've got to stop the denial, excuses, the blame game. We've got to stop rationalizing, playing the victim. Oh, woe is me. I can't control my thoughts. I can't control my addiction. Sure you can. That's right. Absolutely. You have to take control. But notice, Paul is exactly right. Where does it start? Not with your actions, with your thoughts. Yeah. Take every thought captive, and then you take that thought and you make it obedient to Christ. The Bible, Old Testament, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man, what? Thinks. Your thinking is going to turn into your behavior. Yes. And I think of Romans 12 too. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed Transformed. by the renewing of your mind. mind. Then you'll know how to do God's perfect, pleasing will. Yeah. So it it starts with your thoughts. You know, stinking thinking (laughs) will lead to stinking living. Oh. And Paul is exactly right. You have to take authority and stop making excuses. Oh, I can't do, I can't do this or... Yeah, you can. Yeah. You're, you've just decided not to, and you have to decide, I'm going to quit letting these evil thoughts, dysfunctional thoughts, control my, my life. I'm going to take those thoughts captive. So it's a tough discipline, but you yeah. can learn it. Do you think that, that all of us really have? There, there are some outposts, Jerichos, in our life, and we have to like continually deal with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the old thing, you know, you crucify the flesh and it keeps coming back to life. Yeah. And what do you do? You crucify it again. That's right. And you have to keep doing it. I find in my life, I have to go back and do some uh, rodent control. Absolutely. You know, when I see them kind of piling up again, getting a little, I have to say, no, 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 no. This is my, this is, this land doesn't even belong to me. Yeah. This, my thought landscape belongs to Jesus and you need to get out. Yeah, and you say, and you say, you know, hey, that's not me. That's my old self. Yeah. I crucified my old self. That I, when I did that, I was not being myself because yeah. I'm a new creation that's in right. Christ. Yeah, wonderful. All right. Well, Rick, aside from like personal obstacles that we face, there, there are bigger ones. And by that, I mean obstacles that as the body of Christ, we must recognize, we need to encircle and shout the victory. What is the... Biggest three. You, you've been doing pastoring for a while now. <laughs> so what's the biggest threat or obstacle to the church that you see today? I think right now, Sean, it's the Lone Ranger Christianity. Mm. It's trying to do the Christian life alone. And well, if there's one thing we learned from the pandemic, was well, the devastating destructive consequences of trying to do life alone. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable devastation not just to our our country, but to the world. And if there's any good lesson that we learned coming through the pandemic was the bad consequences of being isolated, yeah. of being alone. So it's just absolutely important that we understand I've got to do life with other people yeah. because that's how God wired us. He, he designed us that way. And so I believe that is the number one crisis facing the church today, where churches uh, went through the pandemic, they've recovered now, but most churches, uh, Sunday attendance is about 50% of where it was uh, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, that is unacceptable. Amen. And we, we really, Christians, we've got to fix that problem, and we have to realize uh, fellowship is not optional. It's essential. Yeah, 
That's right. Wow. You know, so audience, I think that for the rest of us, we should take note of our, I don't want to say elder, but well, you are elder. Go too. ahead. Okay. To our elders. So we need to pay attention. All right. Well, Rick, what a fantastic series. Thank you so much for leading us through that. And uh, as you know, Rick, you can hear it too, right? So I hear it. It's the music because it's time for Rick's Quote of the Week. Okay. What you got for us? Okay, so we've talked a lot about the importance of, of using our mind, of thinking in our decisions, the importance of, of fellowship and not trying to do life alone. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, the great, great, oh. in my opinion, the greatest basketball Number player 23. who ever lived. He has a great line about this, Sean. Here's, here's his quote. Talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Oh, wow. So what wins championships in our lives? It's teamwork. Don't do life alone. And it's intelligence. Use your brain. Don't be controlled by your feelings. Oh, man. Okay. Got, you know what? As you know, Rick, I'm not much of a basketball... I'm not much of any sports guy, but that's awesome. That's a great quote. I love, I love MJ, and uh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, Rick, what else is happening here, Grace? Hey, this Sunday, uh, Barry Anderson, our pastor of ministry, is Yay. going to take the pulpit and Woo-hoo. I'm very excited. His message is called Gifted to Serve. What he's going to do on this Sunday is lay the foundation for a series that we're going to do after Easter called Volunteer Revolution. Hmm. So we're going to start at April 16th, but Barry's going to start laying ground and laying the foundation for this series, and it's going to be a, a great message. And speaking of Easter... Be praying right now. Who can you invite to church yeah. for Easter? April 8th and 9th here at Grace. We're going to do a Saturday night service, two Sunday mornings. Great opportunity to invite friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, enemies, anybody. <laughs> Pretenemies. Invite in anyone. Everybody needs to come to church at Easter. That's Fantastic. what's coming up to Grace. Fantastic. Rick, thanks so much for, for doing this. And audience, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope that you've been encouraged and better informed. We love to get feedback, so send us an email with your comments and suggestions to info at roswellgrace.com. If you like what we're doing here at Living Your Dash, please hit the subscribe button, leave us a review on your platform, and share this with your friends. For more information about Grace Community Church, please point your browser to roswellgrace.com. Until next time, I'm Marie, and this is Living Your Dash.